welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. It's Wednesday, December the 18th, 2019, and this is Defender Podcast, and today we are joined by Kanisha Stewart, and Kanisha is a dear friend of the Ministry of Lifeline. Uh, she is someone who has spent so much of her time helping us as a ministry train domestic adopted families. Uh, she is a young lady that has experienced the ministry as well, who has walked through the ministry. And, and I'm just excited for those of you who listen to the Defender podcast on a regular basis to hear Kanisha's story. And I, I know even this year we've had so many different stories and so many different perspectives. But one of the reasons that, that I am so excited for you to hear Kanisha's story is because when she was 16 years old, she was a woman that found herself pregnant and was able to walk through that, uh, spend time at Lifeline Village, the maternity home. But more than that, has come out on the other side, seeing the faithfulness of God. And I hope today, as you listen to her story, that the Holy Spirit would illuminate in your heart and in your mind ways that you can care for those that are in your midst who find themselves pregnant, who are homeless, who have been abused, who have been marginalized, who have been hurt, and even many times hurt by those that they thought would help, that we will be mindful through the Holy Spirit to love on, to care for, and to reach out with compassion and hope. It's during this month that we look to the year end and ask our partners and ask all of those that have joined in ministry with Lifeline to give towards the year end. And our, our year end campaign is Change One Life. And we know that there are 153 million orphan and vulnerable children. We know there are millions and millions of women in our country and around the world who've been marginalized and, and who have been hurt and who've been abused and who need the hope of, of hearing the gospel of Christ Jesus. And it's, it's mind boggling when we look around and we see all of that need and the, the large numbers of that need. But what we want to do here in the month of December is boil that down to one life. How can you be a part of changing one life and seeing that life be changed to the gospel of Christ Jesus? And hopefully we pray that the Lord would use the ministry of Lifeline in that transformation. So as the month of December, we boil that 153 million down to one story and one work. We hope and invite you to participate in what Lifeline will do in 2020 through our Change One Life campaign. And if you want to get involved and help us change one life at a time, visit lifelinechild.org backslash change one life. And again, that's lifelinechild.org backslash change O-N-E life. And we hope that you will join us at in our campaign of changing one life through the ministry of Lifeline, but ultimately the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, Kanisha, thank you for joining us on the Defender podcast. And I'm so excited for you to get to tell your story. And you have had the opportunity to tell your story at our Root and Love conference, our domestic training conference, to our staff, and 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 ultimately. Uh, this story that the Lord has given you came from one of unthinkable circumstances. It, it, it's not something that you would have ever asked to have this story. But sister, I am so grateful for the way that you're using this story for his glory and for his good. So do you mind just telling us about your story and start at the age of 16? 
Yes, and first let me say thank you for the opportunity. Um, I do believe that um, God has used um, my life and my struggles and, and my trials through life um, as a ministry. Um, so having the opportunity to share um, in any form the, the goodness and the, the gratefulness of our Lord, um, I'm more than pleased to take that opportunity. Um, but yes, um, at 16, I did become pregnant um, through unthinkable circumstances. Um, but even before the pregnancy, um, how my life kind of started out wasn't easy either. Um, my mother was in the military when she got pregnant with me and she was unwed. Um, my, bi my biological father um, was also in the military, but he chose not to be involved in my life. Um, so it was just me and my mom um, to begin with. And then she met my stepfather when I was about six months old. Oh. And um, they married when she got pregnant with my younger brother and I was about a year and a half old. Um, and for the longest time, I didn't even know he wasn't my biological father because he was the, he was the only father figure I had for uh, my early childhood. Um, but growing up, my parents had many addictions from gambling to drugs to alcohol, but gambling, was the one that directly affected me as a child the most. Because um, when my parents did work, which wasn't consistent, which wasn't often, the money that they made didn't go towards bills um, and housing. It went to support their habits. Um, so by the age of 12, I had gone to about 13 different elementary schools um, and had been homeless at times, living in a car or living in motel rooms or bouncing from one family member um, to another, um, just trying to survive. Um, and then also at the age of 12, I started um, attending a small church um, in the, t in, the, in the town we were living um, and got like really involved in the youth group, um, in the ministry. And that was probably kind of the point where church and my faith really started to grow as a child. Um, and, I, and as a part of the youth ministry, I got close to the youth minister and his wife, um, and I was there every opportunity the doors opened um, because school and church became my escape from my home life to get away from the dysfunction. Um, and I confided in the youth minister and, um, and his wife and told them about what I had to deal with when I went home or went back to the motel room or whatever. And um, so they intimately knew the struggle. Um, and it turned out um, at the age of 15, we were being evicted yet again. And um, 
when I confronted my mother about the circumstances and um, my expectations, um, more or less, I got told if if you don't like it, then you can leave. Um, so she kicked me out when I was 15, and um, I called the only family figures I had, which was the youth minister, um, and they came and picked me up, and all that I got to take with me was what I could fit in a trash bag. Um, and so I moved in with them, and then shortly after, um, they actually became my legal guardians. And it wasn't, it wasn't long after moving in with him that he started the grooming process of using what he knew of my, my home life, knowing that I didn't have anywhere else to go or anyone else to turn to, um, to begin the abuse. And um, by, by the time I turned 16, I was pregnant um, with his child and I can remember questioning God at that time um, when not understanding why he was allowing this, um, but knowing that or having a sense of a piece about it at the same time um when I first found out I was pregnant you know I thought well the answer is abortion um no one has to find out um and and I can you know continue living my life as I had lived it um and so I actually had scheduled an abortion, um, but wasn't able to make the appointment. Um, and during that time, my prayers were always, God, do this. God, you know, if you can do this, I promise that I'll do, you know, whatever. Um, and it was always me driving the plan. Um, and when after I didn't wasn't able to you know have the abortion, and and just crying out, um, trying to figure out how to move forward with life, um, my prayer started to change, and it became instead of God do this and God do that, and you know this is what needs to happen to God. What do I need to do? You drive this ship you direct me um and my decisions and open the right doors um and almost instantly um adoption came into the conversation and uh, i went to a save a life here and um met with a counselor and um she gave me you know a lot of information and it was just instantly a piece that this is what I was supposed to do and then with that piece the anger and and the frustration of the situation 
because I had a plan and I, and and I knew how to execute that plan um, fell into place. Um, so um, I did end up at the maternity village um, where although I was kind of separated and, and alone, I was safe. I was being cared for, you know, I, I wasn't being abused. I wasn't being neglected. I had a roof over my head, a bed to sleep in. So all of my needs at that time were being met. Plus I was getting poured into through the ministry of it. Um, when I was at the, the village, um, we were actively in, involved with a local church near the village and members from that village came to the home and did Bible studies with us or took us um, on hay rides um, and, and did activities to show the true love of Christ, which, um, you know, early on I thought I had, but realized that that wasn't what it was. Hmm. And then to see it acted out um, and to experience it firsthand um, was a life changer. Um, after yeah. I, go ahead. Yeah, I just, as I'm hearing your story, Kenisha, I, I just think of, of, of this pattern of, of your biological parents and, you know, as a child needing to trust them, but they're making poor decisions. You come into the home of a youth pastor who is there for you in your greatest time of need. And, and literally you're evicted, you're homeless, you have nowhere to turn. This is someone you think you can trust. And then, and then you find yourself again in a situation where this, this seemingly person that was to be a protector, that was to be a, a shepherd has let you down and has abused you. What, what were you, what were you feeling towards God? And, and I know you said you were praying, okay, Lord, just, just do this for me, do this next step. But in, in knowing that in the scripture, God is so many times called a shepherd and a protector and uh, a father to the fatherless, a, 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 a husband to the widow, but yet these physical examples of shepherd and protector had let you down. Was, was there anything that, that you were struggling with seeing God's protection and love? Yes, um, on the surface. From, I mean, even when I, I was as young as four years old, my, my biological mother tells a story. She woke up one Sunday morning and I was not anywhere to be seen. She couldn't find me. I wasn't in the house. I wasn't outside. And she asked the neighbor, had they seen me? Um, and she's, you know, looking for me. And the neighbor said, oh yeah, a church bus rode through the neighborhood and she got on it. Hmm. So I have always felt God placed a calling on my life long before I realized mm. the struggles I was going to face. Mm. Um, and I think because of that, because knowing, you know, you know, my parents never went to church. No one in my, you know, close family went to church. 
so but there was something within me that just yearned for that mm-hmm. um and so although there was those questions to god and the the why is this happening um how could you let this happen um they were there but at the same time it was just a a seed that had been planted long before even without my realizing it that god was going to take care of me no matter what and i just knew that it was you know but in in the midst of the storms it's hard to be calm and to hear that voice and to feel that peace so yes there was there were questions and anger and and you know somewhat of a resentment for all of this being allowed to happen but when you know when i would get out of my head so to speak and and just realize that god loved me and he was going to he was going to take care of me i didn't know how i didn't know when but it was going to happen and i think that even highlights just the importance of us as believers being the emissaries of God, being the hands and the feet literally of the Lord. I mean, even just what you've said highlights the importance of us going into our neighborhoods and our communities and loving on children uh, and families, even when their families will not come to church, about about being being centered around caring for kids. But also, I love what you say that when you made it to the maternity home in the Lifeline Village, the way that the church, it wasn't just the maternity home staff, but it's this local church uh, that's coming in and doing Bible studies and caring and showing the grace and the hospitality and the discipleship of the local church, walking with you through what you have been and, and truly being the hands and the feet of Christ. And so it, in your story, you you finally, in, in some regards, find rest for the first time in 16 years when you did make it to the maternity home because maybe for the first time you weren't looking around the corner at what was next but you could you could really rest why was that such an important time both for you spiritually and physically but but also in your journey well it was it was important um honestly just to give my heart and my head a break um as you said i mean i was no longer concerned about where my next meal was coming from or if i had a place to sleep that night or you know was a grown man gonna come into my room in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. Um, so just having the calmness and the safety um allowed me to stop worrying just about myself and focus then more on my unborn child and and how to move forward with making plans for his life and ultimately preparing myself for how I was going to move forward after. So 
initially even when when you were first abused and you were first um, violated by this youth pastor, you know, one of the things too that that we didn't even get in is, you know, that that as much that that he he did not confess and um, almost a Joseph and a, a Potiphar's house type of thing, you know, you're ejected from this home that should have been a safe place that was not a safe place for you. Uh, you had thought and contemplated abortion and just because you thought that'd be the easiest thing. Uh, but the Lord led you to adoption and talk, talk us through that process of, of, of coming to the realization that adoption was the best thing, but then also both the, the beauty and really the, the grief that comes from adoption, because yes, it's beautiful, but there was also a lot of grief that you had to walk through in your adoption journey. Can, can you, can you talk us through some of that? Yeah. Um, so how, how it kind of happened for me is, like I said, the initial kind of point of adoption is an option was through the um, Save a Life counselor. Um, and you know, where, where do I go? How does this work? Um, and so trying to navigate through those questions, um, I mean, Lifeline was, at the time, walked me through in detail each step, what my choices were, how it would look, um, you know, as much as they could predict. Um, and then, you know, at, as you said, the grief that comes after the placement. So, you know, I get through the pregnancy, which is scary at times and painful definitely but um there was a first there was a um one of the house moms the at the at the village um i mean she became the first mother figure i had that taught me how to be a family first um so you know there were girls at the home at, when i was there that ranged from like 13 up to 22. Um, and while we were at the home, we behaved and acted and, and did things as a family. And for me, that was probably the first real experience mm. of what a family is like. Um, and then um, after the birth and, and the placement, you know, I went back home and at the time back to the minister's house. Um, but I was more prepared in protecting myself once I returned because I had that time of growth and understanding that I didn't have when I first went to live with them. Um, but the grief, um, and no one at home, at school or anything knew I was pregnant. Um, and, and the few people that did, um, I mean, I got, I got accused of being selfish um, for, for placing 
or for giving up. That was the, the terminology used. Well, you just gave up your child. Um, so because of the stereotypes and, and the judgments passed on, um, I, I didn't share with hardly anyone the truth of what was going on and where I had been and why I had been there and or anything. I just bottled it all up, which leads to destructive behavior when you're bottling all those emotions up. Um, so the grief after, you know, I, I'm grieving the loss of a child, essentially, that I've carried for nine months. And my, um, my main goal through the pregnancy had, was always to protect him from the harshness of the world as best as I could. Um, so having that, having to trust completely in God that he was protected and that um, he was safe and that he wasn't going to be subjected to the abuse and the neglect that I had endured um, was the only thing that got me through it. It was just, I had to believe that no matter what, his life was going to be better. Um, but I've taken all that, you know, he's 22 years old now. Um, so a lot of time has passed since then, but, um, as I've gotten more comfortable with, um, not taking on the shame and the guilt of the circumstances, but rejoicing in the fact that God was able to use me, um, and, and the situation to answer prayers for his parents who, you know, didn't have children. Um, and that as a counselor, I'm a school counselor now. So I get to mentor and counsel students on a daily basis um, in high school that are going through all of the same things that I went through. So when they come in and they're hungry because they're, you know, that there's not enough food at home, I keep a drawer of snacks because I know what that's like. Um, you know, or if they come in and talk about how, you know, they just don't know what they're going to do after high school because they don't have that support um, or they don't even know how to begin applying for colleges or, or scholarships. I know because I was that kid. Um, uh, so, and then, you know, I, a couple of years ago, uh, kind of my confirmation moment that I was in the right field, I guess. Um, I had a 15 year old um, come in to my office at school and there had been rumors kind of floating that um, she might be pregnant. So me and her sat down and talked and her she, you know, was scared and denied it. Um, but as we talked more, I come to learn that um, she was pregnant um, 
and her mother had been in jail and while her mother was in jail it was her stepfather who was abusing her and got her pregnant mm -hmm. and so i was able for really the first time um in that profession in this profession to um really share my story and how i've come out the other side with with someone going through it mm. so you know i i know that um satan and, and and sin have caused the heartache and the and the abuse but it's god who's able to even take the worst and find a way to turn it to use it for good mm. and that and you know every time i've shared my testimony that's kind of the point i want to drive home is that what what satan has meant for evil god turns to beauty mm. and certainly kenesha this is what a, what a great testimony of how truly the lord has taken those ashes and made it absolutely beautiful. And while certainly looking back, you know, you, you would have never asked for your story to be written in this way, but I'm sure there are times that you look back and you say, I wouldn't have had my story written the other way because of the 15 year old that's coming into your office that you're able to look eye to eye to in and, and tell her God is good and he's going to get you through this for the hungry little boy or the hungry girl that's coming into your office because they haven't had something to eat and you've got a snack drawer there because you know that it's there oh sister the lord is using you in ways that are incomprehensible and truly 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 what our adversary what satan meant for uh destruction and for evil and uh just for continued vulnerability the lord has turned that into a beautiful story of his grace and, and I, I just love the undercurrent and how you're so clear of how the lord guided you through this process even through the hard and even through the difficult so i i guess just two more questions that i think and and the first is you know you continue to stay involved with lifeline and like i said you you've spoken at conferences You've helped minister to other women in crisis. You're, you're a counselor, like you said, at, at a local school caring for children. Why is it important, do you think, to continue sharing your story? I think it's important um, because, well, one, I think it's important because I, I can't keep it in. Mm. I mean, it, it, it's... I feel like I have been so blessed to have overcome so much that I've just got to share it and get it out. Um, and it took me years to, to, like I said, get past the hurt of it, um, to really see how God was going to use it. Um, but once I've gotten there, I want to share at every opportunity with anyone that will listen because our God is powerful. Um, he loves us unconditionally. 
Um, so I mean, to me, that's the first. But the second is, if if my story can help one child have the faith and the courage to keep going one more day, um, to not give up, then that's worth it. Mm. Um, if it helps one, you know, one person that hears it reach out and, and mentor and connect with um, someone who's going through a hard time and, and walk alongside them to, to bring God the glory, then it's worth it. And if it helps, you know, one young woman who's being abused have the courage to speak up um, and to break a cycle, it's worth it. Amen. And and in that vein, and I know that, that this is even what you're doing on a on a daily basis, but we also know that unfortunately your story of of homelessness, your story of abuse, your story of vulnerability is is not a story that is unique. It's not a story that is rare. And and even as you have said it, you know, uh, unfortunately, uh, we have an adversary who is Satan, and he is consistently on the prowl, like a like a roaring lion looking for who he can devour. Uh, and so there are so many that are even listening to this podcast who have probably uh, been caught in a cycle of abuse, or who have who have experienced abuse and and maybe even abuse they've never confessed before but what would you say to someone who's listening who might currently be caught in the cycle of abuse what kind of encouragement would you give them and what words of wisdom would you give them that the lord has taught you through uh throughout these last several years i would say first um don't be silent silence is um satan's tool to keep you locked in to that cycle of abuse um find someone you trust and speak out um and and call on god for protection call on you know pray fervently um for for god to bring the right person um into your path to help you to walk alongside you to give you the, the help and the tools um, to get out, to, um, to protect yourself. Um, you know, it, it, for me, you know, I thought I had found that protection, um, but I didn't, you know, initially, but by getting pregnant and going to the home, I did, mm. I, I got that, um, strength and I got that encouragement and and I and I'm sure that even the the counselors through lifeline and the people that I was involved with you know that came to the home from the church didn't know the full effect of what they were helping me do when they were ministering to me mm-hmm. but they gave me the strength and the courage to stand up for myself and to keep going. Um, And 
and you know, I'm sure most of them had no idea of the power that they poured into me. Um, so I think it's important um, if it if you feel led, if you feel that tug on your heart um, to to speak to someone and you don't know what they're going through, follow that that tug. That's the Holy Spirit because you can be given someone just the courage to do to, to do great things and you not even have a clue um and on the opposite side of that i guess would be you know don't pass judgment unfairly um, because we don't know what the next person sitting to, next to us who may not have the cleanest clothes um, or, you know, is young and pregnant and not married. Um, don't pass judgment because you don't know the circumstances um, necessarily that got them there. Um, so it's, you know, I think um, love and compassion are the key things everyone can take from this is always be kind and always try to show the love of Christ. You know, he was, you know, the community uh, wanted to judge him because, you know, he spoke with prostitutes and, but he knew intimately their circumstances that not everyone did. And I would say to anyone listening, be kind, show compassion, be the love of Christ. And if you do feel the spirit tugging at your heart to, to speak with or to minister to um, anyone in a, in a situation that others may judge you because you're, you know, having a connection with him, do it. It's worth it because you're, you could completely change not only their life, but their children's lives, their family's lives. You know, I have an eight-year-old now, and he will never know what it's like to be homeless. You know, he won't know what it's like to go without food um, or to be abused. And that's because people poured into me to help me break that cycle. Amen. And as we just think about it, the call to us as the church, as we've been called to defend the vulnerable, is will we care well with the gospel of restoration? Will we come around women and children who are hurting? And, and beloved, we must be those fierce defenders of life. We must reach out to the vulnerable because it's only as Kenesha has so eloquently said through the gospel of Christ Jesus and through the presence of God's family, the church, that the vulnerable can ultimately escape the cycle of abuse and hurt and entrapment and find true restoration in King Jesus. And as Kenesha said, and, and that's the, the rest of the story, 22 years later now, Kenesha is married uh, to a wonderful, godly man. Uh, as she said, she has a seven-year-old little boy, and the Lord has changed her name and she is now Kanisha Brown because she is a wife and a mother and we have seen uh, just such the, the beauty of 
the Lord Jesus, who tells us when we step out and love others the way that he has called us to, not with a selfish love, but with an unselfish love, that we can see the gospel of Christ Jesus do remarkable things in the lives of those around us. So, Kanisha, I, I'm just so grateful and thankful for you. I'm, I'm grateful and thankful that you continue to have the boldness, uh, the passion to continue to share your story. And sweet sister, I know that the Lord will continue to use your story for his glory and for his good. Thank, Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And as we close this Defender podcast, I do want to remind you, if you want to be a part of the Change One Life campaign and see other lives like a life of Kenosha change the gospel of Christ Jesus as lifeline seats to equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable families, will you join us for Change One Life? Again, go to lifelinechild.org backslash change one life. That's lifelinechild.org backslash change O-N-E life. Thanks for joining us for the Defender Podcast, and may you have a Merry Christmas. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.